HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to Heritage Radio on Tour, presented by Le Creuset. I'm Liza Ham. Today we're broadcasting live from the HRN Podcast Lounge at Feast Portland. We want to thank our supporters, Le Creuset, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible, and this place just amazing. I have the good fortune to have as my co-host, Nate Collier from Le Creuset. Welcome, Nate. Thank you, thank you. Welcome. And today, the two of us are joined by Emily Miller. Emily Miller is a food writer extraordinaire with an expertise in the first meal of the day. That passion has led her to an amazing book, Breakfast, the Cookbook, as well as a very cool event series, The Breakfast Club, which I hope she'll tell us more about. But let's start local. So welcome, Emily, by the way. So this is my second time here in Portland at Feast, and my take is... The city takes breakfast very seriously, and they do it quite well. What's your experience been at breakfast so far? Breakfast here is incredible. This is my fourth time in Portland, so first feast, though, so I'm really happy to be here during this time. Um, Every time I've been in Portland, though, I've been fortunate enough to be hosting one of my Breakfast Club event series, so weirdly I've had these super extravagant breakfasts while I was here, so... Sam from Tusk has done it, Nong from Nong's Cowman Guy, Eli from Olympia Provisions. It's been such incredible Portland restaurants that I've gotten to work with, and all of them have kind of taken their typical dinner menus and reinvented something super casual and fun and just amazing to support the local creative communities and their peers and things like that. So just gathering people in a really inspiring space. So, and that is a little bit what the Breakfast Club series goal is, right? Why yeah. don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you came up with that idea? Yeah, so I was um, doing a lot of food writing and traveling all over the world, learning about food culture and stories and design, trend forecasting, and 
really wanted a way to connect with people while I was traveling. So the best way I thought to do that was through food and through breakfast. So I reached out to some of my chef friends in different cities and somehow convinced them to open their restaurants in the morning so it wouldn't interrupt dinner service and just let them go wild, kind of like take a break from whatever they were doing and create something casual and and fun for their friends. And it just kind of took off as this kind of indie creative community type thing. And that's why Portland is such a great place to host all of this stuff. So I've made so many friends here through that and throughout the world. Um, I hosted one at Pujol in Mexico City, um, which is amazing. And with Mike Solomonov, who is here as well, too, um, at the Vice offices a while ago. And he did this, like, 15-dish extravagant Israeli feast. And it was still, like, to this day, one of the most epic tables of food I've ever seen in my life. So just seeing how much fun the chefs have with it, too. It's kind of nice creatively to just get out of your head and whatever you're confined to do by your restaurant and just do whatever you want also in your restaurant, but with no parameters at all. So, Nate, I'm curious. Have you had some good breakfast experiences in Portland so far? Um, I'll be honest and say no, because today was our first day here, and we really <laughs> sort of... I had delicious coffee, I'll say that, and pastry, but I don't. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a really amazing breakfast experience. However... I have been doing a lot of research on Portland and the restaurants here, and I saw some amazing options. So I know that they're out there for sure. Coffee is a very, very key part of breakfast, I have to say. Are you a big coffee fan? Very number one coffee fan. <laughs> Stumptown was actually um, one of the first brands who like supported Breakfast Club too, which is why Portland has always been so special, because even when I was in New York starting them, they were always kind of on board. So it's really fun. Okay, so let's leave Portland just for a second, though, and tell me, I'd like to hear from both of you, was breakfast your favorite meal of the day growing up? Um, I, I don't know favorite. My mom always required me and my sister and I to eat breakfast in the morning, so I think it just inherently became an important time of day. They always got up early, so it made me feel like stuff was already happening and I needed to also be in on that. Um, and my mom would always make us eat something, so... Yeah, that's where it started. <laughs> I mean, I would say, um, no, I love breakfast foods. And so when I got delicious breakfast foods, it was, you know, a huge smile on my face. But we were definitely a family where during the week, it was get out the door as quickly as possible. So it was almost an afterthought. And then half the time on the weekends, it was more of like a lazy thing. And we were kind of my brother and I fending for ourselves at breakfast time. So I did learn to cook some things. I still remember burning bacon for the first time in a pan for that. But um, no, I mean, probably not until, um, until, you know, high school. And I could kind of make my own decisions about that. Um, love breakfast, steak and eggs at the um, Toddle House growing up was like a huge treat for us. So love it. Very American. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So I, like you, Emily, I remember a little bit like my mom was very strict about breakfast and it had to be this very like healthy complete meal all I really wanted was sugar cereal and I, I found breakfast kind of depressing right and dutiful so why do you think that sort of changes as you get older it I mean just as your palate changes as you travel as you explore things I incorporate a lot of ingredients from my travels, I'll, I'll like bring it back and start cooking with it and doing all of that stuff. So I also 
My mom was very healthy with breakfast foods, but I wouldn't say it was ever boring. Like we had, we weren't really allowed to have sugary cereals, but the cereals we could have, I mixed them all together and like tried to make it really cool. And um, my family's Jewish, so and my grandpa used to own an appetizing store in the Bronx, so there was always lox. Even though I didn't like smoked fish as a child, it took a really long time for me to like it. Um, and then my mom did all this really weird, healthy stuff that now has kind of stuck with me. Like she'll have um, like a pita with peanut butter and cheese on it and ground flax seeds, and it sounds like a really strange combination, but now it's something really nostalgic and weird that I crave. So if I ask for it at bagel shops in New York, everyone wants to murder me, but it's fine. It's my it's my order. <laughs> What's your typical breakfast go-to now? I mean, typical breakfast go-to now for me is probably... Um, whole wheat toast, almond butter, avocado, um, some type of olive oil and good sea salt on top um, during during the week, at least, when I'm walking out. But, I mean, if I were picking my own breakfast, I, I typically would probably stray from typical American breakfast. Love huevos rancheros, shakshuka. I mean, even some of the Asian rice porridges and things like that. I, I would much rather eat that stuff for breakfast as, like, a, like you said, fun, interesting celebration instead of feeling dutiful like okay I have to get my two eggs and my pancake and bacon and move along from there. You think often about breakfast rituals which I think you have written about and I love that idea because I'm not so sure that the other meals feel as much like a ritual. Well, it's, I mean, breakfast typically eaten in the morning, not always. I think you can have breakfast foods whenever you want, (laughs) but um Typically, you wake up and it's the most personal time of day. It's really the only time you have before you've been influenced by media and conversations and everything. So all of your thoughts and just yourself, even if you're with your family, it's just you and your closest people around you. And there's something super special about that. And that's why breakfast is so important to me, too, because it's really nourishing and it's the first food that you have to start your day and and get things going. So it's always really interesting what I what people eat for breakfast, if they eat breakfast, if they don't, and any kind of ritualistic things that lead up to them starting their day, whether it's eating or not. And all your travels, what sort of ritual surprised you the most? Uh, just that everyone vehemently wants to talk to me about their morning rituals and what they eat for breakfast it's really it's so personal and passionate and people are excited to talk about it because it's not something that you ever really get to share that often because it's something you experience on your own so and I, I think that's totally true where that particular meal is so ingrained as a ritual for people that um and I don't know you can tell me if other cultures are the same but I do find in America when you tell them about these other breakfasts that people have their reaction is almost like oh you know sushi for breakfast or rice porridge for breakfast because they have such a defined idea of their ritual it, it seems like there's not a lot of space for deviation sometimes exactly it feels like such a part of your identity yeah so tell me about some of the places in addition I know you mentioned patrol where else did you travel to Um, I was living in Singapore for a while, which was amazing and a perfect example of soup for breakfast. So now I'm very into that. There's a whole soup soup chapter in my book and mostly it's in Western or Eastern culture, but um, every country has their own kind of variation on it, soup or stew. And it's just really 
it makes you feel good in the morning. It's like bone broth. I feel like we got like a little taste of it here in, the, in a way that We're Americans can handle, like. but there's people are going to start eating soup for breakfast more often. And menudo too, delicious breakfast. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So many cultures have, have something like that. I don't know why it didn't come here in full effect yet. But um, there, Lisbon, I was there for a few months, which was amazing um, pastry-wise. And really, Europe is kind of interesting for breakfast because it's really just something small. It's like a little pastry, coffee, whatever. But I think the most exciting breakfasts are Mexico and Southeast Asia and those kinds of countries. And America, too. I mean, it's incredible. I did the U.S. last, as far as research goes, because it's so influenced by every other country. And regionally, it changes so drastically. It's, it's really interesting. How did you decide which places to go when you were putting the book proposal together? Um, all sorts of reasons, like where I had friends, where I was potentially connecting with people. I essentially left my apartment for a year and a half in Brooklyn and just traveled around and lived in different cities for a few months at a time hosting breakfast club events, writing trend forecasting pieces, and researching for this book. So um, I really kind of got a taste of the way that people cook and do things in their daily life in each of the different regions, and then took that research back to New York to like really start developing and testing. Okay. So now, how do you, did that change how you do breakfast? Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you, <laughs> there's 380 recipes in this book. So like cooking all of them, it just completely opened my mind to a million other cooking techniques and styles and ingredients. And now I find myself doing a mashup of all of these different things, just dependent on my mood and what's available in my fridge. It's breakfast is really good on the fly kind of cooking. So I'm curious though, do you also feel like what you're preparing sort of changes the way you attack the day? Um, yes. It's, I don't really like eating the same thing twice, so it, it's, it's so dependent on my mood. And then if I'm feeling like I really need a ton of food because maybe I was out too late last night, um, then I'll make that and that will change how I'm feeling for the rest of the day. See, I'm a creature of habit for breakfast who aspires to be more like you and like switch it up. But I, I yeah, so your book will help. <laughs> yeah, and mine nowadays is thrown off with two little girls at home. So it's almost like I know what's there if I want to take the time to do it. And if not, I'm grabbing a handful of berries and almonds and their leftover yogurt and some coconut flakes and stirring it all together and taking it from there. So, Whatever they yeah, don't exactly. eat is your breakfast. <laughs> In addition to the breakfast club, you've been doing tours as well. Yeah, so I started doing... Um, breakfast tours in the Lower East Side in Manhattan because it's really one of the most diverse condensed neighborhoods in the city. So within, I mean, no more than a 10 minute walk to each place, you can have Dominican breakfast, this really cool, like modern American kind of cool millennial spot. And then um, traditional Chinese breakfast, traditional Malaysian breakfast, Mexican tamales, like from this incredible tamale shop. It's really incredible, the diversity. So I'm working with um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith now on that. So they kind of handle all the bookings and things. And how many meals do you, do you have? It's several <laughs> bites. Do you have? Yeah, it's like five bites, but they're pretty much meals. So come hungry, <laughs> very hungry. <laughs> What other cities would you love to do 
a tour like that? Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm working on a new project right now. So the tours are going to stay just in the Lower East Side as a fun kind of side thing, just because I really love sharing those cultures and places with people. Um, but yeah, I have something really big coming up early next year. <laughs> can you what can, can you tell us anything? <laughs> it has it has to do with breakfast. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> to you, so okay, let's go off then. What about breakfast for dinner? Do you do that often? Oh yeah, totally. It's it's hard to have breakfast every day. I mean, I'm I'll have coffee. I'll have like a handful of almonds or something like that. But I don't like being super full in the morning and then having to like work and like really be on creatively. So. My breakfasts during the week are really chill, usually, and then I can do more extravagant stuff, like, later when I have time to cook um, for dinner or on the weekends or for friends. So it's the perfect excuse to invite people over, too. So what's the most challenging from a technique standpoint, breakfast or recipe or, or culture that you came across when you were doing the book? Yeah, there, um, <laughs> there's this... Um, rice flour, uh, like steamed rice flour cakes from Singapore. They're called kueh. And it is so hard to make at home because what's interesting is a lot of breakfast is done on the street. It's all street food culture in most other countries because that is a quick thing that you can get inexpensively on your way to work and it'll keep you full for a long time. It's really hard to recreate street food recipes in your kitchen. Um, but I managed to do that for a lot of them, which is kind of cool. But that was one of the hardest ones, I think, that I did. And you have it with this um, fried preserved radish and garlic. And it's just, it's really amazing. And also egg tarts in Lisbon. And like Portuguese egg tarts are so difficult. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like trying to make the perfect butter croissant, too. Yes. <laughs> Seems simple, but super intense. Exactly. <laughs> anything having to do with baking is a challenge for me, but... <laughs> is there anything that's particularly popular for breakfast that you just don't like? Um, that's popular? Not, I don't know. Not so much. The in, most interesting combination I've come across is from the Philippines, where it's called champurado, and it's this chocolate rice porridge. And in itself, like, that's incredible, because it's like a little bitter, like used more of like a bitter chocolate for it. But then it's served with this uh, preserved fish and like a dried fish, which also in itself is great. But together in the morning, um, I was having it at my friend's house in Singapore because she's Filipino and, and made it for us. And we just like had this whole conversation about it because it's really interesting to see where all these flavors end up coming from and coming together. And it's, I love it. Is that in the cookbook? Did that make That's in the book, okay. yeah. Okay. So what else are you planning to do while you're here at Feast? I um, did this really fun event this morning at the Hoxton Hotel where we did um, pastries, like Mexican pastries. So there was a bunch of conchas and still life drawing. So Solaby Flowers did all these like insanely gorgeous arrangements and we got all these like objects from the hotel and just assembled them on a table. And then instead of having placemats, everyone got um, pieces of paper and art supplies and we all just kind of like hung out and ate pastries and then also drew the pastries. 
This is a very chill way to spend a Saturday. Absolutely. Yeah. The Hoxton, that's where we went for the first night party. It's quite a cool space. Yeah, they nice. did a really good job with it. And do you have more events that you will be participating in, or is it just fun for you now? I do. Um, I'm so excited. Um, tomorrow, Sunday, I'm doing the Brunch Village, which this year is inspired by breakfast around the world, which obviously is so perfect for my book so I will be there tomorrow signing books and hanging out and saying hi to all the amazing people who are cooking breakfast Nate do you have anything you're looking forward to in the next couple of days here um, we actually don't have anything else planned we did an amazing dinner last night uh, with William Sonoma and Han Oak um, some really delicious hot pots um, which I'm sure you could have for breakfast too. Drop some eggs in there. Um, but no, tonight we're going to um, kind of do our own little restaurant crawl and see what we can find. Good. Well, thank you both very much. I love sharing all about breakfast and I can't wait to try some of the recipes. Um, thanks everyone for listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour, presented by Le Creuset. And thanks again to our supporters, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Childs Foundation. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.